It's Wednesday, December 19th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. It was a wild hearing for former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, as Judge Emmett Sullivan delayed his sentencing for lying to the FBI and told him he may not avoid prison time. The judge even told Flynn that he sold his country out. Elena Treen, political reporter for Axios, joins us for what happens next and all the courtroom drama. Next, it's time to prepare for the smart home fitness revolution. Connected Fitness started out with apps, then fitness trackers, connected cardio equipment, and now the next level is intelligence. Lauren Good, senior writer at Wired, joins us to discuss what the new home fitness gym will look like. Internet connected home systems that promise feedback loops between you and that fitness guru running your workouts. Finally, we speak to Megan Lenhart, senior money reporter for CNBC Make It, about how much money it costs to be Santa Claus and how much money you can make. There's a lot more than just the red suit that goes into playing the part. There's Santa school, beard bleaching, and more. But being a top tier Santa can really bring in the money. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. This was on important things too. I mean, to talk to the Russians and to tell them that uh, to, to go easy on us after we impose sanctions, and then to say that you didn't say that, uh, that's serious. Joining us now is Elena Treen, political reporter for Axios. There was some pretty good fireworks at the Michael Flynn sentencing hearing. U.S. District Judge Emmett Sullivan made it very clear that he was disgusted with Michael Flynn. He says, I'm not even going to hide it. And he berated him. He told him a bunch of stuff. In the end, the sentencing got postponed. But fill us in. What happened in court? Well, it was definitely a bit of a surprise for some people who thought, or anyone who was even hoping, that Michael Flynn would get off easy for lying to federal investigators. And some people said that they were really surprised by the judge's reaction, just given that Robert Mueller and his team and the special counsel's team said that he had been cooperating fully and that they recommended no prison time for him. But yes. The judge essentially eviscerated him during that court appearance, and prosecutors had asked the judge for leniency. And at first, he said, I'm not hiding my disgust or my disdain for this criminal offense that you've committed. He said that it undermines everything that the American flag stands for and that when sold his country out, this is what the judge said. But then lawyers for Michael Flynn had asked that they delay any sentencing until Robert Mueller wraps up his investigation, at least with regard to Michael Flynn himself. And so the judge did agree to delay his sentencing for another nine days or at least until Michael Flynn and his cooperation with the special counsel wraps up. Yeah, he was very tough on Michael Flynn during that. At one point, he asked the prosecutor whether if they had ever considered charging Michael Flynn with treason. They took a recess and then they came back and it was almost as like he needed to cool down himself. And then he even came back and he said he felt terrible about his remarks and said, you know, I'm not suggesting he committed treason. Don't read into my question. I was just throwing it out there. So it was a pretty remarkable back and forth for sure. Mueller's team had previously said he cooperated so well and we recommend no prison time, it just felt like it was coming out of left field that the judge very well hand him down some type of sentence, who knows how long, but just with the emotion that he was speaking with, it sounded like he wanted to hand him down something pretty crazy. These are the moments when you wish there was cameras allowed in these courtrooms. Oh, completely. And it was completely incredible to see back and forth, especially as you said, after that recess, when he did come back with the judge apologizes and the way he was acting. And I think that that's kind of what led to the delay of this, because the special counsel and his team have said that he's really cooperated so well, but they want more time to keep 
keep cooperating with him. So clearly, Michael Flynn is offering Robert Mueller's team a lot of great information, which also leads me, I have to point out that the president this morning tweeted and wished Michael Flynn good luck, which was incredibly interesting as well, given the way that the president has reacted toward Michael Cohen, who has also pled guilty several different crimes and Paul Manafort. And so just to see the different ways that he's been treating the different key players have been charged in the Mueller investigation so far has been really interesting to watch play out. Michael Flynn, for his part, has largely remained out of the public eye since all this stuff happened. I mean, he hasn't done any interviews. You really don't hear much about him unless something legal is happening. Michael Cohen, on the other hand, after his sentencing, he did an interview like the next day. So it's different the way these guys are playing out in the media. Furthermore, from the White House, their reaction, they were trying to say that the FBI had duped Michael Flynn into Mm -hmm. saying stuff, thinking that it wasn't a crime to lie to the FBI, something like that. What is their reaction to this? President Trump has said on a few different occasions now that he believed that Michael Flynn was tricked into lying to FBI investigators. And he's, he's said that about others as well, not just Michael Flynn, that other people have been kind of forced into lying to the FBI. They even asked him, you were aware that lying to the FBI investigators is a crime? And he said, yes, I was aware. So that kind of throws that reaction out a little bit, but it's kind of obvious if FBI's investigators are coming and ask you questions, You shouldn't be lying to them. So it's just interesting to hear what happened. They moved this on to March 13th now to see if there's any continued cooperation. Hopefully it convinces the judge a little bit more that he did cooperate and then hopefully he gets nothing. I guess that's the reasoning. So we have until March to kind of see what happens with this now. I think just to keep in mind some things, I know that a lot of people have been reaching out that they're still, I mean, it's been so long now since Michael Flynn was first arrested or charged with pleading guilty, what he actually did. And I think the two things, key things that are going to be playing out here is how much the judge takes into stock his line to the FBI about the nature of his conversations with, of course, the then Russian ambassador to U.S., Sergei Kislyak. This is prior to the inauguration, we have to point out. But then he also has admitted to some of his lobbying work done on behalf of the Turkish government, which he had been long denying, and now he's admitting to doing that. So those are the two key things that the judge is is taking into account with regarding his sentencing. But we will see if, if anything changes over the next few months with regard to how much more cooperation he has with Special Counsel Robert Mueller's office. Elena Trine, political reporter for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I like to say it's like a somewhat dystopian experience where you turn on the mirror and then all of a sudden there's this fitness avatar of somebody who is trying to guide you through like a cardio or a bar workout or something like that. Joining us now is Lauren Good, senior writer at Wired. It's the holidays. A lot of people might be wanting to get some of these things for the holidays or, you know, the New Year's coming and everybody wants to get their New Year's resolutions going by getting in a shape. And you wrote an article for Wired about the smart home fitness revolution, the Internet connected fitness revolution. And I want to borrow a line from the article. Connected fitness started out with apps. Then we went to trackers like iWatch and Fitbits and whatnot. Then there's connected cardio equipment. And the next layer is intelligence. And you interacting with fitness equipment. So what do we know about this smart home fitness revolution? One of the 
things that people have asked me as I have been on this sort of reporting adventure for these connected fitness devices is, well, isn't this just the same as having a treadmill in my basement or, you know, a stationary bike that eventually collects dust and turns into a coat rack or alternately just putting a YouTube video on a, you know, a flat TV, a 2D TV and having a similar experience. And it's a really good question. And the thing that the latest trend is around is creating content that streams live into your living room that makes it compelling enough to feel as though you're not really working out alone. You're actually part of a live streamed fitness class. Maybe that's a Peloton class. Maybe that's a tonal weightlifting session. Maybe that's a mirror live stream class. And at the same time, the instructors have the ability to give you some live feedback back and you also sometimes have the ability to interact by like sending someone an emoji or something like that. So these this newest wave of fitness products is supposed to create a more interactive experience. Let's talk about some of these because Mirror is one of the ones you mentioned in your article and it looks really cool. The founder of Mirror specifically says though they're a content business. They're a media company and that's kind of what you're talking about. They're offering live sessions, recorded sessions. So you almost feel that interaction. But let's start from the beginning. What is Mirror and how does that fit into the internet connected fitness. Mirror is at one time like one of the coolest pieces of like home furniture you could possibly put in your living room because it just looks like a floor length mirror and at the same time creates the, I like to say it's like a somewhat dystopian experience where you turn <laughs> on the mirror and then all of a sudden there's this fitness avatar of somebody who is trying to guide you through like a cardio or a bar workout or right. something like that. So it does look like a mirror and then when you turn it on and you connect your mobile app to it you can either take a live stream fitness class or you can go to an on-demand fitness class and it offers a wide variety of classes and it's one of those things where it's supposed to just work into your routine right if you put this mirror between your bed and the coffee maker you kind of have no excuse not to just go right. work out with it I've it seen is it, expensive I, a lot of these new products are expensive they cost you know, thousands of dollars up yeah. front to buy the hardware and then you end up paying for a media subscription so that's kind of what the ceo Bryn putnam was referring to it's not a compelling product just the hardware itself you have to have that video that keeps you engaged yeah and i saw a video of how the mirror works it is cool you see your reflection the whole time, which is an important component of working out. You know, you got to make sure you're doing certain things right or certain movements need to be accurate, but it is kind of superimposed. You can still see yourself, but you see video of whoever the person leading the exercise is. How much is Mirror and then how much is that subscription fee you were talking about? Mirror is $14.95 up front. So you're talking about $1,500 up front. If you're going to go this route, you're basically going to swap out your monthly gym membership. You buy the equipment and then your monthly membership is going to be the subscription to this to get new workouts and all that stuff. I think in some ways that these are definitely a replacement for some people, especially when you consider that once you have this kind of connected fitness device in your home and you're paying for the media membership, it's not just you that can use it, but it's all of your family members as well. And so if you are looking to be a little bit more cost conscious, you can use this as your home gym. But I also think there's probably a fair amount of overlap between a customer that's going to invest in a product like this and somebody who's still going to have an outside gym membership or maybe have a bike that they ride around outside and that kind of thing. I think they're targeting aspirational customers, but maybe also people who, to your point, will just, this will replace their gym membership. Let's talk about Peloton for a moment because they're kind of leading the charge on this with first the bike. Now they have a new treadmill that you did get a chance to try out. But part of it is, you know, we're talking about the interconnectedness, the workout programs that they have there, the live sessions that you can do. So you're kind of creating a workout community, but from home, you don't have to go to the gym for it. 
Amazon really deserves a lot of the credit for driving this trend because they started selling their internet-connected bikes in 2013. And what's funny about these companies is when you talk to them, it's not just like the days of Nordic Track where you're, you're talking about buying a piece of hardware. They all have production studios. I actually went to Peladon's production studio in New York City where they have cameras set up and it's a live stream class and they have a control room and people are calling you know, the shots during the live stream class. So they are putting a lot of effort into making this content and that's something that Peloton really kind of led the charge on. And their instructors become like many celebrities at some point too. Oh yeah, totally. They become some, you know, the Jane Fonda of the digital world. They have Instagram accounts. They have Facebook pages. There are these very slickly produced videos and they're trying to really push them as real people with personalities and bios and they're not just a nameless, faceless spin instructor, right? You actually, some people develop an actual fanaticism with these people. They say, oh, I only take this person's class because I really, really <laughs> like them. So Peloton is trying to take some of that magic that it's managed to create with its bike and apply it to the treadmill. Like personally, I think the treadmill is probably one of the most dreadful of home exercise pieces of equipment. It gets, people know it gets pretty boring on there sometimes. And so Peloton has now created a treadmill that has one of a giant, giant touchscreen display in front of you as you're running. And they're live streaming these classes. You took a lot of these classes in one of your stories here. You wrote that you were doing a mirror workout with a yoga instructor and they started saying something about how, oh, you know, my kid is learning how to walk. Do you really feel that closeness? You, in your article, you, you wrote like, I don't know if she was talking to me, but I'm going to send her an emoji the next time. Does it really feel that close? I jokingly said, you know, I think we're best friends now, uh, which is that feeling you get sometimes from people who you follow on the internet. You don't really know them, but you establish this, I don't know, this kind of connection with them over the interwebs, as I like to say, and you kind of feel like you're friends, even though you don't know them in real life. And that's exactly the kind of feedback loop that these companies are trying to create between you and the instructor. Lauren Good, senior writer at Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Beards, I've been told, have come a long way. I, you know, definitely no longer those terrible, you know, cotton ball things with elastic bands coming off the ears. So this really is an entire routine that a Santa has to put themselves in for the season. Joining us now is Megan Lenhart, senior money reporter for CNBC Make It. So it's the week before Christmas, and uh, I always like to get in the mood for the holidays before they come up. So we've been doing some different Christmas stories. I have always been fascinated with Santas and people who play Santas and, and do this for a living. We just did a story in the podcast about in some malls, slower malls that have been closing stores, there's uh, Santas sitting there with no line, no crowds, and kind of what they do to pass their time. But on this side of things, we're going to talk about how much money it costs to be a Santa, and how much money you can make doing it. So tell us a little bit about that, Megan. So this was actually a fascinating piece for me. It started off with talking to Rick Rosenthal, who is an Atlanta-based Santa, and 66 years old, runs a couple of different businesses related to Christmas, which is very fun. And he's walked me through, as an industry veteran, what it actually takes to become Santa Claus. I think that a lot of people just assume it's a suit and maybe some shoe wrapper type of things, but in actuality, it can be very, very expensive. The suits themselves, which of course is the crucial centerpiece, can be a 
up to about twelve hundred dollars. Yeah. And you know those are great, and they certainly have to be custom made. And you know little boys and girls can be a little messy, so you may need more than one. In fact, he said he actually has a couple of different pants for every jacket because apparently <laughs> the bottom of the suit gets a little more dirty. <laughs> and of course, you start there. Obviously, that's the iconic thing to become Santa is the suit. And other people have said bring several pairs of white gloves, even just for one gig, because it's white. It's gonna it could get dirty right away. And you notice the quality. You were talking about the cost of it. You notice the quality of a costume and, you know, more elaborate and the thick white fur and things like that. And you can see it from right away from afar. That's a good Santa. Exactly. I talked to Stephen Arnold, and again, another industry veteran, and he sort of said, you know, yes, you absolutely can get a suit that doesn't cost as much, and, and you really can cut cost if it's your first year, but you're really rewarded if you do invest and really get those beautiful pieces. A lot of Santas say it doesn't come down so much to the suit as much as customization. So, you know, those thick leather belts and those beautiful buckles sometimes you see, well, those are going to cost you between 200 50 and $400. And even the customized buttons, some Santas really go all out. Those can be $75 a piece. There's obviously quite a few buttons on that coat. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that they have to be aware of is the personal grooming. For the story we did yesterday and then also in your story, you talked to somebody from uh, the International Brotherhood of Real Bearded Santas. I just love that name. <laughs> the personal grooming, you know, a lot of these guys will do uh, beard bleaching. And that costs, you know, a couple hundred bucks per season or however often you have to do it. You have to maintain that look. You do. I think beards, I've been told, have come a long way. I, you know, definitely no longer those terrible, you know, cotton ball things with elastic bands coming off the ears. So this really is an entire routine that a Santa has to put themselves in for the season. And not to mention just some of the legal protections they need. I mean, you know, we're yeah. a pretty litigious society. So Rosenthal, who I spoke with, carries a $4 million insurance policy. And he also does independent third-party background checks every year just to make sure that he's on top of everything. What does the insurance policy cover? Yeah, several organizations have started offering this as part of the package. So, in fact, the International Brotherhood of Real Bearded Santas, that's actually, you know, one of the membership perks. And this is like many personal liability insurance policies in that if something happens, you do have a little bit of coverage. And I mean, think about it. You're lifting up kids all day or, you know, whatever the case may be. God forbid you drop one <laughs> and, and they end up going to the doctor or something like that. Right. You, you have a little bit of protection that's not coming okay. out of your paycheck. Then there's this whole thing of going to Santa school. One of them that's been called the uh, Harvard of Santa schools is about 520, maybe a little bit more just to go through that whole process. So there's a lot of costs that go into it. But with all that comes the money making possibilities. Top tier Santa starts making pretty good money. There are about five to 6,000 professional Santas in the U.S. Those are folks that are actually doing regular gigs, making money. Of course, if you start to include all the volunteer and charity folks, that, that number quadruples. But when you're looking at these folks, they really can make some decent money. If you have some experience, you know, obviously if you're green, this is your first year, don't expect this. But you're going to make between five and $8,000 once you've gotten a few years under your belt, you have a really nice outfit, accessories, everything like that. And then once you really are well entrenched in the industry, you know, you may be representing professional sports teams or, you know, in addition to the mall gigs, then you might be looking at fifteen to $20,000 for the season. And wow. you have to imagine 
that this is six to eight weeks. So it definitely can be good money. The most lucrative ones are the shopping mall and photography gigs because there's consistency. A lot of times you might be the only guy working 60, 70 hours a week. Peascale actually found that these folks make about $41 an hour. I don't know about you, but that's definitely more than I make. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm still a little young, but maybe as my beer starts turning gray, maybe I should start picking it up. Hey, not a bad uh, idea for a side gig, right? <laughs> there you go. Megan Lenhart, senior money reporter for CNBC Make It. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me and happy holidays. Happy holidays. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.